One of the distinguishing features of Yom Kippur is the fact that we have an extra prayer at the end of Yom Kippur, which is called Ne'ilah, the concluding service. The Ne'ilah service has some interesting features to it. For one, the service consists almost exclusively of the recitation of Srichot. Of course, the Srichot, as we have discussed, is the repetition, constant repetition of these attributes of mercy, Hashem, Hashem, Kerachum, V'chanun. They are recited in the repetition of the Shemona Esrei, and they are introduced by the Yahweh Yavo prayer, which is the typical prayer of the festival. Yahweh Yavo ends, Ki Chanun V'rachum you are a Gracious, gracious and merciful King Hanun Varachum. Those are the first two attributes of God's, 13 attributes of mercy. And then right away, Ptachlan Ushar, Shar, We ask God to open the gates, even at the closing of the gate, Kifonayom, the day is departing. And what follows is the repetition of Yud Gimel Midot there is a custom in fact to say these Yud Gimel Midot 13 times and they're interrupted by brief uh, statements which are then followed by the Srichot by the Yud Gimel Midot in fact one of the distinguishing features of Ne'i was that many of the statements that we're making as part of the Srichot service are very brief and to the point. It has a feel of almost of desperation of a last opportunity. So we're not making long speeches over here. We're keeping it short and we're punctuating these short statements with the Yud Yimu Midot. It's interesting in the sense that Ne'iwa is an additional prayer. The Ramam is Laws of prayer talks about the numbers of prayers. Three prayers a day. Then on the festivals, four prayers. And on certain days, fast days, etc., certain fast days, we only have it on Yom Kippur, but we add another prayer. So it's an extra prayer. And interesting because the Srichot service itself, actually, takes the shape of a kind of Amida. The Srichot themselves, the way they're typically structured, is an additional prayer. So it's fitting in a certain sense that Ne'iwa, the additional prayer of Ne'iwa, should be deeply associated with the Srichot service. That's one feature of Ne'iwa. Another striking feature of Ne'iwa is that during all the other services of Yom Kippur, in addition to the Slichot, we have confessions, vidui. And typically, we have two kinds of confessions that we say. We have a short confession, Ashamnu, Bogadnu, Gazalnu, and we have the longer confession of the Alchet. At least this is the Ashkenazic rite. So in the Igwa, we also have Hashamnu. We say the short confession, but instead of the long confession, instead of the Alchet, in its place, we have a different kind of confession. 
which according to the Talmud is the key to Ne'ilu. In fact, there's one view that this next little prayer is the entirety of Ne'ilu. It's not actually an additional Amida with all the blessings. There's simply this one statement. And the statement begins with the words, God, you stretch, God stretches out God's hand to the sinner and God's right hand is stretched forth to receive the one who is repentant. That's how it begins. You have taught us to confess before you. For all of our sins. In order that we stay our hands from Oshek Yodenu. Oshek can mean violence. Oshek means things that you take without permission. That was typically understood in the Talmud. It's kind of theft. Taking things that you are not entitled to. And you will accept our repentance as sacrificial offerings. And then it continues, there's no end to our obligations, to our mistakes. But therefore, nonetheless, you have generously accepted our repentance. This idea, is actually repeated in the next paragraph. The next paragraph, which begins, You have set the human aside from the very beginning. And you have acknowledged that the human should stand before you. Despite the fact that on its face it makes no sense. What right do we have to stand before God? But then the continuation of that second paragraph, the next paragraph, You have given us this day a time set aside for repentance for all our sins in order that we stop and once again so what is this Oshek Yodenu about? Why is this the one thing that we have singled out? The wickedness of our hands. And what's interesting is that this idea that we should desist from Oshek Yodenu actually is a reference to what we read in the Haftorah of Yom Kippur. Of course, the Haftorah of Yom Kippur is the book of Yonah. And in the book of Yonah, there's a description after Yonah comes to Ninveh and proclaims, in 40 days Ninveh will be overturned, which of course ironically is true. Because Ninveh is turned upside down. The king gets off his throne and sits on the ashes. The decree, the presumed destruction of Ninveh, is in fact Nepachet, is in fact overturned. So Yonah, unbeknownst to himself and probably very unhappy with this turn of events, has correctly predicted what will happen to Ninveh. But in that third chapter of Yonah, it describes how the people of Ninveh offer their repentance or engage in, 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 in behavior which can overturn the decree. The king issues a command 
to all the people of Nineveh, gets off his throne, sits in the ashes, and, and says, They should, each one should turn back from his evil way. And from the Hamas, the wickedness, which is in their hands. It's exactly parallel to One can say that in a certain sense, every time we do something which is inappropriate, we are misusing the gifts. The world is a gift and we are misusing it. We are misusing it, in fact, if we live in the world in a way that's not commensurate with God's will, then in fact, that's tantamount to taking something without, without permission. It goes back to the first sin, the eating of the eight sadat, which was an act of Oshek Yodeinu. We had no right to that. So Oshek Yodeinu becomes a, a metaphor for sin in general, for misbehavior in general. And this is what we are picking up on in the Ni'ila service. And interesting is that I believe that the Ni'ila service continues with this theme. It plays off the theme. Because in the second paragraph, it continues, We ask God in God's great mercies to have mercy upon us. For you don't desire the destruction of the world. And the verse we cite is from the, actually the Haftorah that's normally read on the fast days. Seek out God when God is present. Call out to God when God is close. But actually, if we think about this idea that God doesn't want the destruction of the world, that actually is the continuation of the book of Yonah. The book of Yonah is very upset by this turn of events. Yonah feels it's not right that the people of Ninveh, the wicked people of Ninveh, God, God said, their wickedness has come before me. So why should they be spared? But God's response seems to be that I spare them because at the end of the day, I, they are my creations. God says to Yonah, you had mercy on the gourd, which is here today and gone tomorrow, which you didn't. You put no effort into it. You didn't raise it. And I should not have pity on the great city of Nineveh. 120,000 people or more and many animals in other words God represents to Yonah the idea that these are my creations these are my creations I don't deal with them in an objective fashion I don't want the destruction of the world if I hew to your your idea of truth there will be no world because we can't function that way with just truth so therefore I choose to spare to have pity on the city of Nineveh. And that's exactly what we have in this statement in the Ni'iwa. And in truth, this Atanoten Yadla Poshim, which is the Vidui, the confession for Ni'iwa, and combined with the second paragraph, Atahiv Dalta Enosh Meirosh, Patakirela Modlu Fanecha, in Ni'iwa we don't have the Yalchet. We don't have that kind of confession. I did this wrong, I did that wrong. Instead, it's a different kind of confession which is not a confession about a particular sin. It's more a confession about 
one might even say a meditation upon what it means to be a human being. The two paragraphs represent two different dimensions of what it means to be human. The first paragraph talks about the poshim, the sinners. Talks about human, human weakness, human failure, human insignificance. That's how it ends. Ma'alu, who are we? What is our lives? What, what, what good do we do? What strength do we have? That's the first paragraph. In fact, it ends in Motar Hadam and Abahema Ayin Kiakohavel. The difference between the human and the beast is not is naught. All is vanity. The human, the Adam of the first paragraph, equal the Behema. Adam u Behema. And then suddenly But you have set the human being aside and recognize that the human can stand before you. La Modulfadha means to stand and to pray and to argue. To stand before God. And that's what it means to be human. There, there is the possibility to stand in God's presence. The two dimensions of what it means to be human. So it's not a confession in the sense a particular thing was done wrong. It's a confession in terms of coming to grips with who we humans really are. From one perspective of the opportunity, the privilege, to stand before God, la modlifanecha, that's a term that appears when Abraham argues with God. He stands before God. From the other side, we recognize human limitation, failure, weakness. And that's the great meditation of Ni'il. At the end of the day, we end the day of Yom Kippur with, 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 with reflections upon what it really means to be a human being, to be a, 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 a created being. The limitations, but also the possibilities. I would end with another interesting practice that we have at the end of Yom Kippur. the end of Yom Kippur, we are reciting Shema Yisrael, Baruch Shem Kavod Ma'achuto, and then Hashem Hu Elohim, which is typically recited seven times. Hashem is the God, Hashem is the God. And perhaps... One of the reasons for ending Yom Kippur that way, Hashem Hu Elohim, that statement, Hashem Hu Elohim, Hashem Hu Elohim, is taken from the story of Eliyahu on Mount Carmel. Eliyahu gathers all the people to Mount Carmel and says, make a choice. If Baal is your God, follow Baal. If Hashem is the God, then follow the eternal God of Israel. You have to make a choice. And Eliyahu arranges a, a, a test between himself and the prophets of Baal and the fire comes down from heaven and the people scream out at that moment Hashem Elohim, Hashem Elohim so that is the statement of belief by those who have formally turned away at that moment they believe it the book of Kings that's chapter 18. In the next chapter, it's clear that even though they believe it, they believe it at that moment. But the rest of the book of Kings does not suggest to us that that precious moment lasted necessarily forever. And actually, that's how we end Yom Kippur. We end Yom Kippur by saying, look, we have gone through the day of Yom Kippur. We have come to an understanding at this moment we have confessed our sins. We recognize who we are. We're going to move forward with this thinking. 
and we cry out, Hashem Elohim, Hashem Elohim. Maybe we know in our heart of hearts that it's very difficult to, to preserve that moment. Maybe we recognize that perhaps the next day or somewhere down the road, not too far off, we may slip back towards where we once were. But the idea of Yom Kippur is, at some point, at the end of Yom Kippur, to put ourselves in a place where if we continue to work during the rest of the year, we can preserve those very special moments of Yom Kippur, that deep understanding, the deep confession of what it means to be a human being and live in God's world.